Hello, Buildings on Air podcast listeners. This is your host, Kiefer Dunn. Um, I am not coming to you from uh, the studio at Lumpen Radio. I'm coming to you from my office. Um, I have a quick announcement to make, followed by a little treat for you. Um, this September, we're going to have two episodes for you. Um, and we have some very special guests lined up. Uh, Karen Norevsky will be discussing her recent piece in Jackman Magazine about Yimbies. Uh, and we'll also have Kate Wagner of McMansion Hell fame. So stay tuned for that. Uh, our two episodes for the month, they'll be on September 14th and September 16th on Lumpen Radio. So you can listen live then um, and expect podcast episodes to go up as well. Uh, the episode on the 16th will be a special for the Architecture Biennial here in Chicago, um, and it'll coincide with uh, some architecture lobby happenings. So if you don't know about the architecture lobby, it's a labor advocacy group for architects that I'm a part of, and we'll have um, some of the, the leaders and activists from the lobby um, on the show on the 16th. Should be a very good discussion. Um, listening to this on the podcast um, please rate and review on itunes it's a big help um, spread the word uh, we have 1500 subscribers a month which is uh, really incredible and I, I really appreciate everyone listening um, and the support means the world uh, to me um, and happy we can talk about nerdy details of architecture and politics and um, hopefully that leads to some good work and um, uh, a little bit of a better world. Um, that said, um, I have a little bit of an audio treat. Uh, Studs Terkel, if you don't know who Studs Terkel is, he was a radio broadcaster in Chicago um, who was all about sort of, um, I don't know, Chicago places and people um, and sort of capturing the city of broad shoulders ethic uh, that we have here. Um, and he has a few pretty incredible interviews about architecture. Um, and, you know, I'm always trying to emulate Studs Terkel, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a really tall order. And, um, um, you know, this is just a little show that I do in my spare time with the support of the people at Lumpen Radio. So Studs Terkel is the, the ultimate pro. And um, here's a conversation uh, between him and um, Richard Nickel, uh, Carl Condit, and Ben Weiss um, talking about some of the issues in Chicago architecture. Um, you know, this episode is, is maybe 40 or 50 years old uh, that, that we'll listen to this interview. And um, um, so yeah, it's interesting to hear the ways in which they talk about architecture differently um, and the ways in which they kind of talk about it the same. Um, Nothing else, it's just, it's a really interesting bit of history to listen to. Um, I pulled this from the Studs Terkel Radio Archives, which you can find online. There's so much good stuff there, I can't recommend it enough. Um, but yeah, without further ado, um, here's, here's the piece of audio. Uh, you might recognize some of the place names, you might not. When they're talking about the Circle Campus in Chicago, they're talking about the Walter Netsch-designed UIC campus. Um, so you can uh, keep your ears open for some of those things as well. Um, here it goes. Thanks for listening, y'all. Um, and I will uh, hear you again. No, you'll hear me again um, twice for four hours in the middle of September. Thanks.
hey, this is Kiefer back for just one second uh, to point out that the audio at the beginning of this uh, interview is a little bit messed up um, just for the first minute or so um, it gets by, but uh, it's not you, it's the clip, um, and bear with it and um, enjoy it. Uh, thanks. A couple of weeks ago, Carl Condit died. Uh, Carl was a professor at Northwestern University for many years, an architecture historian, and one of the very best. And uh, this program is with Carl Condit, first recorded some almost 40 years ago, late 50s, maybe early 60s, with Carl on the program. Ben Weiss, who with his brother Harry, has been uh, one of the architects in Chicago sticking to that vision of the city of man. And so Sullivan and Wright and the others are alive in their work. And Ben Weiss, along with Carl Condit, and Richard Nickel. Richard Nickel was a lover of Chicago architecture, researcher, who in a seeking to preserve artifacts from the Louis Sullivan buildings being destroyed, the Garrick Theater or the Stock Exchange building, was killed as some rock fell upon him. Perhaps even an artifact fell upon him. It was a poetic and tragic death. And so this is, he died several years after this conversation. So the conversation was 19, I said 58, 59. The only references to the plans for the auditorium theater that we know now, is, of course, has been rebuilt and opened. References to certain tours taking place. These are dated references, but you get the idea. Here then, the broadcast of some almost 40 years ago with Carl Condit. Ben Weiss, and Richard Nickel. Well, Chicago is celebrated throughout the world for one thing or another, uh, some good, some not so good, but the thing for which it's celebrated in a, in a positive way is its architecture. I think every visitor who comes to town thinks of Chicago's architecture. For some reason, this city and original buildings, architecture of one sort or another has always been part of the legend, in fact, the truth of America and the Midwest. We have three guests around the table who are about as, I'd say, probably as, as perceptive and observant in this field as anyone in town. There's Ben Weiss of Harry Weiss and Associates, who are now working on the restoration of the auditorium theater, the building, the auditorium theater itself. Richard Nickel, who I think uh, is one of the most fervent gatherers of memorabilia, but more than that, uh, students. Uh, history, uh, historians of architecture in town, as well as Carl Condict, has been, I guess, before Carl. Carl's book was Chicago's. What were the, uh, the book was Chicago's. Uh, Chicago School of Architecture. Chicago School of Architecture. And earlier, there was an earlier edition of that. The Rise of the Skyscraper. The Rise of the Skyscraper, Carl, uh, Carl Condict at Northwestern University. And we're doing this program now because uh, Dick Nickel will soon be leaving Chicago to teach photography. Photographer too at uh, Harvard University, and I thought before Ben Weiss and Richard Nickel and Carl Condon comment their thoughts about Chicago architecture and buildings. The voice of a friend of mine, Win Strachey, remembering the Auditorium Theater, was back in the early twenties. He was in the chorus. Well, he'd tell you about this when he was on stage there in the Miracle. We hear Win now. This perhaps could be our catapult for the roundtable. Yeah, I guess the Auditorium was the first theater that I really knew. Uh, I just finished high school about six months before and had been working at Hart Shafter and Marks uh, in the statistical department and cutting swatches and and uh, 
I had a chance to join the chorus of the miracle. Uh, the music was by Humperdinck. The director was uh, Max Reinhardt. And uh, it had played successfully in in Germany, I believe, for, so, for some time. What was the year when? The year was... Um, 1926-27, right at, right at the turn of the year. And uh, Morris Guest was the impresario at the time. I had occasion to meet him later. But I was just thinking that being the first theater that I'd ever really known intimately, having worked there, I'd assumed that all theaters would be sort of like that, not realizing the great, the great uh, dramatic a democratic concept that Louis Sullivan and uh, Dunkmar Adler had put into it, whereas the, the boxes were practically obliterated, that the boxes were just a continuation of the orchestra and they blended into the, the first balcony. And this, I'm sure, was the result of strong egalitarian ideas on the part of uh, both Sullivan and Adler. It was a new concept in the theater, and I haven't seen it since, really, except maybe in some theaters in the round. Since then, of course, I, during the war, I was in Sicily and Italy and saw the, the real the class theater where the, the boxes sort of occupied this tremendous, uh, almost barrel-like structure with just a shelf on top for the laity and, and a few more desirable seats in the, in the bottom. Well, um, it was a great show, uh, The Miracle. It, uh, it had uh, Lady Diana Manners as one of the leading ladies. Iris Tree, the daughter of Sir Herbert Tree, was... Uh, they, they took the leading part of the, of the Madonna on alternate nights. And I got to know uh, different members of the cast. Of course, the, the great thing about it was that the... the orchestra section of the auditorium had been almost converted into the nave of a cathedral. And uh, the, the uh, instead of the sharp division between the orchestra seats and the stage, there were stairs going up into the floor of the church. And uh, the performance began each night with a procession, you know, from the foyer going down the uh, the aisles of the theater, you know, we all in our... As we listen to Wynne remember the auditorium, what thoughts come to your mind when we're speaking about the democratic nature of this place and Sullivan's dream? Anybody? Dick, Dick, Dicko? Yes, uh, the auditorium uh, was a great civic event in Chicago. I think it can be compared almost to the construction of the uh, Chicago Civic Center and perhaps even more because um, up to that time, Let's see, this was 18, um, in the 1880s, close to 1890, and um, the musical opera was very popular in Chicago, and the musical events being held were in the old um, Industrial Exposition Hall, uh, which is, was on the site of the present Art Institute. And um, those were temporary quarters. The, the hall was usually converted each season for music, and... Um, so then, uh, I think it was Ferdinand Peck, a, a, a capitalist in Chicago, uh, uh, forwarded the idea of building a grand um, opera house and um, a kind of a cultural center, really. It was to con contain a hotel and uh, recital halls and a, a big hall and uh, 
And uh, so this thing um, captured the imagination of the entire city, and it was built at great expense, and um, it's uh, been out of use now for years, and it's good to see it before being restored. Before we ask Ben Weiss about what is happening now with it, since he and his brother and associates are so directly concerned with the, involved with the restoration of it, Carl, Carl Condit, uh, thinking about Wynne's comment, and uh, Dick's point about Sullivan's idea, the, he spoke of the uh, egalitarian approach, that it was democratically built, the auditorium. Well, I think that any way you look at the auditorium uh, studs, it's a great work of building and, uh, and civic art. Uh, yes, I think that uh, I think there was an, uh, a democratic approach in the design of the building, and, and that constituted the, the, the fundamental idea from which the whole thing grew, to provide a first-class theater acoustically as near-perfect as possible in which everybody could see and hear uh, as clearly uh, as uh, everybody else. Uh, and then, of course, when you go on from there and realize that in addition to this tremendous theater with 4,000 seats, there is also, or there was, uh, I should say, because you know that the, the eastern part of the building is occupied by Roosevelt University now. In addition to this tremendous theater, there was a hotel on the east and half the south side, and an office building on the west and the west half of the south side. And all of this uh, uh, great diversity of elements, uh, the theater, offices, all of the technical and uh, Facilities, the utilities were all uh, were all uh, handled here, integrated uh, in, into a great structure, which is technically uh, supreme work and artistically uh, one also. What's the status of it now? I just think the, uh, Ben Weiss, uh, the auditorium. Now we, we hear we read a great deal of it's being restored now. What's the what's the stage of it now? Well, uh, fortunately, it's getting very close to a finish. Studs, uh, I think another little less than $300,000 will see it uh, in good enough shape that it can be occupied safely and uh, uh, programming can commence. Now this uh, can be a matter of maybe, we hope, three months and people will begin to experience firsthand the, the real excitement of entering this space. And I think uh, as an architect, to me, this is the most important thing for everyone. Once he gets inside this building, he realizes that is a special experience, and uh, it's a very, uh, uh, you could get very romantic about the upper spaces and perhaps uh, uh, compare it to a Piranesi in the way that the galleries uh, fly up there. It may be the one good example of a built Piranesi. Uh, Sullivan, what does he, what, why was Chicago, anybody, Dick or Carl, why was it the city, Chicago, that became the center of something original in American architecture and building? Well, that's the, um, that's the really big question, Studs. Uh, I, I think that one can find uh, economic and uh, social uh, reasons uh, why this occurred. <coughs> but beyond that, uh, I, I think there's a psychological, an intangible, unanalyzable psychological phenomenon that's very difficult to define. First of all, Chicago had become, by the end of the Civil War, the industrial center, the railroad transportation, waterway transportation center of the United States. Uh, it was <clears throat> undergoing an economic expansion unparalleled in the history of cities in this country or in any other one. 
Uh, and then, you know, in 1871, all of a sudden, uh, it was nearly destroyed by fire. The whole downtown area was destroyed. In other words, uh, cutting right across this explosive expansion was a fire uh, that devastated the city. Uh, so that there were uh, enormous pressures, uh, irresistible <coughs> pressures, to build a city uh, as, uh, as rapidly and as economically and as functionally as possible. Uh, and beyond that, I, I think that uh, this, of course, acted to draw the most imaginative talents. They were, they were men with little formal education, little academic training, but they knew the problem, they knew how to face it, to solve it directly, to create a new kind of building. Why so many of them concentrated here, why they could uh, nourish each other spiritually, so to speak, these are the psychological factors are difficult to get at, but I think there was something in the whole attitude of the uh, Middle West, and, and this focused in Chicago. It had cut itself off from traditions. It had looked at things in new ways. It was determined to say something new uh, about the city and about uh, uh, civic and building, uh, building arts. And uh, here, very quickly, of course, Rose Sullivan, the philosopher, the spokesman, uh, the pamphleteer, deeply imbued with this populist spirit, uh, this new, uh, uh, the, these new artistic uh, currents, and proud of the fact that he had separated himself from traditional views of building. Perhaps I think we could uh, even perhaps talk about uh, the University of Illinois Circle Campus. Thoughts about the Illinois. This has been a rather controversial uh, complex of, of buildings, Institute of Higher Learning. Your feelings about this, anyone, uh, Ben, Carl, you probably may have disagreements too. Well, I, uh, I think the, the campus uh, has been considered a, a breakthrough in the, uh, the field of educational construction. Uh, my feeling is that perhaps this is true in some of the uh, structural and design techniques of the individual buildings, but I think we must consider that the basic layout of this campus may hark back to the classical layout as we know it in America of uh, campuses, which uh, is the individual buildings on a green uh, related uh, with spaces in between them. Uh, uh, I think of uh, Harvard Yard as the foremost example of this, and I feel it in the same form. Uh, the, uh, the, the Circle Campus, although it, is, uh, it seems otherwise, is really of a traditional nature. And my only question would be, when we are very short on land, and, and especially in this uh, particular location, whether a more condensed and uh, radical form of a single building with mere holes scooped out of it uh, might not have been a more uh, a reasonable solution. What's your thought, Carl? I, I think I agree with Ben. I, I, I'm glad to hear him say this, uh, simply to satisfy my own curiosity, that as I wondered whether this was the way his thought was leaning and whether this wasn't the way things were going and advanced thinking about it. I know that um, uh, there's a uh, college in Toronto, Scarborough uh, College, designed by a man named John Andrews, I think it is, which is a single building a campus, a, a striking, spe spectacular work, and of course, quite radically new. Is your new uh, uh, a college in Forest Park, St. Louis, a single building uh, yes. campus, uh, Ben? Yes. I, I think uh, one has to go beyond the mere definition of a single building in order to prevent people from thinking that they're going to the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. This is not true. 
I think uh, there are, again, historical examples of enclosed, uh, arcaded, we're thinking of arcaded spaces such as uh, Stanford University and uh, where you move from one space. And again, San Marco is an example of a very dense development where you can consider an open space and then uh, a lot of functions immediately off it and uh, consuming much less of uh, valuable real estate. You any thoughts about this, Dick, Dick Nickel? Um, the way I often judge buildings is if I uh, uh, love to go and see them or take people to see them, and I've never felt any mm. compulsion to go to the Chicago Circle for any reason. I mean, it just doesn't yeah. interest me. Black is an architect and yeah. photographer. I think he <laughs> well, I, I, I would. Can I add a little more Please. to this? I don't think I, uh, I don't think I quite have the negative view that uh, Ben and and Dick do. Uh, I, I, I'll admit to some disappointment in seeing it, but for the first time when it came out in the flesh. Curious thing is, I remember driving past it uh, under construction and stopping, walking around from time to time, and being uh, really impressed, tremendously impressed by the Science and Engineering Center when it was under construction. Uh, uh, this uh, uh, the steel roof roof frame way up there, 65 or 70 feet above the ground, beautifully poised by those big concrete uh, columns. Uh, very simple, very strong, very powerful, but uh, uh, it lost something in the completion of it. I do think, though, that there are some visually uh, impressive features of the campus. I think the elevated walkway, which is uh, it, its, uh, um, its newest uh, idea, the idea which is most uh, contemporary uh, in it, uh, I, I think the use of the, uh, the long girders, the heavy, uh, the heavy girders, the kind of plastic uh, uh, character in the library uh, is effective. The, the massive uh, columns that are twisted, uh, a square section that are twisted through 45 degrees uh, that support the roof frame of the library, of the, uh, uh, of the um, science and engineering uh, building, uh, and the, the elevated plaza with the exedra, uh, and the, um, the diagonal bands of rough textured concrete which match the, uh, the radial girders uh, underneath there. I, th these are all characteristics that that I like, and I think that I, I find the high building, University Hall, uh, a, an interesting building, too, because it is so, uh, remember I heard, heard Walter Netsch describe it this way once as a diagram of structure. It, it so clearly presents you with the, the structural fact, the, uh, the increasing number of columns as you come down, as the load increases, and then the whole thing very nicely poised on that massive uh, concrete bed at the one base. Thing, one thing is clear, it's obviously a controversial yes, uh, complex yes, of buildings. Yes. How about Marina City? Thoughts about our two uh, twin pie-shaped towers? Thoughts concerning Marina City? Either way, any way, up, down, sideways. Uh, ben, uh, Dick, Carl. Well, I think it's uh, interesting. Marina City is again in the, uh, in the uh, somewhat analogous to the auditorium in that it's a bunching of different functions, and I think this is a, its excitement. I think the technological innovation of a apartment house in the round is uh, where you can stand on the westernmost uh, balcony and still have a view of the lake is certainly a, uh, is a surprise to the renter. Uh, and uh, and I, I think Marina City was in, in many ways uh, the forerunner of getting people downtown again, living in the 24-hour uh, central city. These are all uh, positive uh, qualities, and I think uh, uh, 
all of these things should be uh, overcome any other uh, uh, criticisms there are minor criticisms I think technologically that, uh, I think the criticisms are minor too yes I think that as a technical uh, fact uh, as a technical achievement and a an aesthetic fact uh, there are many uh, valuable and, and uh, very impressive characteristics in Marina City. I, I love to quote uh, uh, Pierre Luigi Nervi, the great Italian engineer uh, on this building. I got this at second hand. I didn't hear Nervi say it himself, but the man who conducted him on a tour of Chicago uh, heard him say it. Um, uh, when uh, Nervi saw it the first time, he simply burst out with one word, bravissimo. And I think that, uh, uh, I, I understand that response from Nervi uh, as an engineer. It, it's a, a technical, a, a, an exhibition of virtuosity from a technical standpoint that, that really is, uh, uh, really gives it a d distinction, a unique distinction. Uh, and uh, I think that the use of the semicircular cantilevered balconies uh, turns this uh, otherwise uh, perhaps too simple uh, shape here, this cylindrical shape, into uh, into a, uh, a multiplicity of moldings, of uh, repetitive forms that uh, uh, give it a great deal of visual interest. How do you feel about this as a photographer, Dick? Uh, does this uh, no, is visual? <laughs> I'm sorry, it never interests me either. I, I think well. one point you ought to uh, mm -hmm. bring out in the current going is that this building uh, represents to architecture perhaps what some of the uh, pop artists uh, or happenings, let us say, it is, it is not calculated for ultimate control of the environment. I think the, the rather uh, whimsical uh, uh, growths of uh, TV antenna and the, uh, the circulation of the plaza is a kind of uh, free experience. And, uh, and so you have this, uh, I, I guess you could call it pop architecture uh, aspect of it. And I'm thinking of, of Dick Nichols' reaction both to the University of Illinois Circle Campus and Marina city towers, a Dick being an architect, particularly interested in buildings, found neither of these. Which on the list, I'm interested, Dick, of the list of the buildings, do well, you've you? You've got to get a positive response. Don't, no, I'm not, no, you don't have to. I'm very curious. I thought you've got it wrong. I'm not an architect. I'm an architectural photographer. Architectural photographer. And I, I'm photographer. A, a kind of a historian, too. I know um, um, I think I, I'm, uh, I think that the, um, uh, the structural kinds of buildings, the skeletons, are the ones that interest me most. I think that the the real building in Chicago today is the Chicago Civic Center. I think it's the most important. And uh, there'll be a 20-minute tour of that, I notice, in the... In the yes, uh, I, I think... Uh, Carl, why the Civic Center? Carl has written beautifully about that, and I'd like to leave that to him, but I think that the, um, the whole, uh, the, whole no, the monumentality of the building, the color, the plan, the, the illumination system, the plaza, I think, it's, uh, I think it's simply magnificent. What is it about the Civic Center, Carl, that makes it unique? and that impressed, say, a photographer, a photographer like Dick Nichol. Well, they, for, first of all, they, the exterior form of the, of the Civic Center grows organically out of the structural system of the building, which is a system of steel framing, columns and girders and beams that support the floors and the roof and the wind loads. Uh, this is right out of the Chicago tradition. Uh, all the great buildings of... Uh, nearly all the great buildings of Chicago uh, that were steel-framed or iron-framed buildings like the uh, Carson Perry Scott store uh, were designed in this way, were organic expressions of structure. Same thing is true of Gothic architecture, as a matter of fact. Uh, then there's the scale of the building. It was necessary to have very high 
uh, ceiling heights, 12 feet as a matter of fact, uh, uh, and to use uh, base bands, a distance between the columns of 48 feet on the short dimension and 87 feet on the long dimension. These are unheard of dimensions, really, in a building repeated over and over again up the height of it. And there was no attempt to hide uh, this scale. The architect, uh, the, the architects, of course, were were um, um, C.F. Murphy Associates and uh, Skidmore, Owings and Merrill, Lobel Schlossman and Bennett with Jack Brownson of Murphy in charge. Um, but the, uh, the, the architects boldly met this head on and said, in effect, all right, let's do it this way. Uh, and um, uh, the, 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 the building, of course, is tremendous in scale, but it seems to me that for all of its power uh, and its technical virtuosity, it has a dignity and a, uh, and a, a repose and stability about it so that you don't uh, feel that you're overwhelmed by technology as you are if you confront a tremendous uh, bridge, a big railroad uh, bridge, uh, for example. And of the use of the Corten steel with the rust uh, uh, finish and the uh, uh, travertine, uh, the granite, excuse me, the granite uh, uh, paving of the plaza, the, the, uh, the lobby, uh, and the uh, elevator bays, uh, the bronze uh, interior metal work in the lobby there are all beautifully harmonized and have a, although they suggest durability and strength, at the same time they have a, uh, they have a, 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 a color and richness of texture. About them. Ben was implying there was another purpose to it too, wasn't it, Ben? Yes, I, I think uh, here is the first and really important example of a of an urban plaza uh, in America. It's a it's a it's an unknown quantum in our urban life until this very moment, perhaps. Although you might say Rockefeller Center has uh, spaces between the buildings, but what happens? Uh, I feel is that the Civic Center is a rather neutral background for a, and the true focus is, should be on this massive granite plaza which people crisscross, and it affords you the delight of standing back and being able to contemplate the buildings which we all love but can't really see, you know, because they're all jammed in on the streets. And so a, an introduction uh, of this kind of a space uh, means that we are thinking collectively for the common good uh, and uh, certain privately uh, uh, built buildings have their own plazas. They will always be subservient, I hope, to the major focus and I hope also that Chicago, which is very dense, should not uh, suddenly spawn too many of these plazas. Uh, this is a problem mm -hmm. now that of carrying a good idea too far. Can I ask you a question about that, Ben? I think that's a very good point, by the way. You can you can have plazas all over the place and lose the density and the texture uh, that is part of the uh, part of the fine character of the urban core. Uh, do you think that the city can uh, uh, this city or any American city can generate uh, uh, enough of a community life, a ritual uh, life, so to speak, to make the use of, uh, of plazas uh, here for something other than uh, crisscrossing. As you, you mentioned Piazza San Marco uh, repeatedly, and I uh, think of other uh, piazze and place and so on, the squares of, uh, of Europe with a, uh, it seems to me, a much richer interaction between the, the people of the city and the city. They enjoy it. They live in it and with it. Uh, do you think we could develop more of that in the United States uh, uh, with a... Well, I, uh, 
I think it's uh, necessary, don't you think? Dude? I know, and this is a very difficult point to argue where every piece of land should bring you a certain amount of income due to our our setup, but I think uh, we're all happy that Grant Park is there and buildings aren't built in that. And uh, so a, a certain uh, community resolve to do certain thing, big things and do them well and uh, with a certain amount of bravado, uh, I think this is the character of the Civic Center Plaza. And I know you can argue about the harshness of it and the lack of trees and many things that I've heard. but. Uh, I think we'll come to know this. It's just new, and we uh, certainly uh, uses of it are uh, for public functions and other uh, uh, a ceremonial void. Let's call it. I I don't know. I don't think it has. But doesn't this involve these plazas and this walking space and this looking that Carl is talking about and you talk needed? Doesn't it involve something must be done with the automobile? Would it involve that too? I hope so. I mean, get it out of the get it out of the urban core, ideally. So Dick Dick Nichol is attracted to the Civic Center because you spoke of the skeletal quality of it. What is that attracts you as a photographer? You as an architectural photographer are attracted to what, Dick? Uh, oh, I I think I just like the the complete straightforwardness of the building, and um, I think it's. There's no fuss about it. It's particularly suited to the uh, the function. The uh, it's it's pleasant to be around, to walk through, inside, outside. Um, the scale, as Carl said, is very impressive. You can't help it. You're listening to a conversation that took place almost 40 years ago. So the references you may hear now and then seem a bit dated, but pertinent nonetheless. With um, Carl Condit, Ben Weiss, and uh, the late Richard Nichol. Well, what do you think Sullivan, this is a conjecture, what would Sullivan, were he to come back today and see Chicago architecture, new buildings, think? What do you think, Dick? Uh, I feel that uh, Chicago is probably not much different today than it was in um, uh, 1876 or 77 when Sullivan first arrived. I think there's still a lot to be done. I don't think things have changed that much. and. Um, uh, architecture is more sophisticated and advanced, but um, uh, but in other areas as well, I, th I think uh, there's great opportunity here in the arts. Um, uh, you, you know, in the uh, in the 1880s, the great the big question in Chicago in architecture was um, what when is there going to be uh, a real American architecture, and when it does come, what what kind of character will it have? And um, I think that struggle is still going on. I'm not too sure, but um, uh, it may be going on for quite a while yet, and uh, so uh, I think things are pretty much the same. Uh, maybe Ben. <laughs> I think Chicago still uh, is the uh, seedbed for uh, the most indigenous school of architecture that Americans can uh, make claim to. I think the problem is more complicated today because we have passed over and are beginning to ignore the uh, original efforts of this uh, 1890s uh, school of architecture, which was uh, promulgated by the then uh, entrepreneurs. And I think this complicates it uh, to the point uh, where uh, I hope today's entrepreneurs will uh, enrich our city by respecting uh, the prior ones, and they will live uh, 
more happily side by side and by some means which we haven't yet found. Isn't uh, Ben Weiss raising a, uh, perhaps a delicate at the same time, perhaps the most pertinent point? I know Dick Nichols has been very directly involved, this is you too, Carl, of preserving. Uh, ben is implying it has been a cutoff and in fact a destruction, perhaps in some cases needless, in the name of progress. Could I uh, uh, could I come come to that by way of the remarks that uh, <coughs> excuse me that Dick Nickel and um, Ben have been making uh, in the past few minutes? Uh, I, uh, f first of all, I did want to say that I agree with Dick absolutely that the struggle to to create to form a a, a truly American architecture. Uh, a modern style of architecture uh, is still going on, and uh, I, I'm sure that all of you would agree that uh, within the past few years, 10, 10 years uh, really, possibly uh, less than that, we have seen uh, as bewildering uh, a set of changes in the exterior form, the visual character of buildings as you could see in the 19th century when you moved from the from the Gothic Revival to the Romanesque to the Renaissance to the Roman uh, Imperial. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, although this, uh, the new architectural work has taken on an international character so that you see something uh, of essentially the same buildings in Japan or in India or in Germany or France or Italy as you do in the United States, I think that we are still groping for, uh, for uh, this, um, uh, this uh, uh, this new style, this modern style, this new uh, mode of expression. Uh, and when you go back to the Chicago school, the original Chicago school of Sullivan and Jenny and Holabird that we started out to talk about, uh, you, you, you're, you're astonished to find uh, that something of the same thing was occurring then, of course, just as, uh, uh, just as Dick was saying. Uh, I have a list of buildings in front of me that uh, represent uh, buildings on the itinerary of the tour sponsored by the AIA. And the Mid-North Association. The tour we're talking about, yeah. And I, 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 I hear, hear old buildings, the auditorium, the Monadnock, the Marquette, uh, which represent three quite distinct, uh, distinct, distinct formal uh, creations, uh, that is, in their aesthetic, uh, physical, formal uh, character. And then when you move to the present time, uh, in, in the Gypsum Building, the Inland Steel Building, the, the Federal Center, Marina City, here you have uh, an equally great diversity. Uh, and I'm not thinking at all of the buildings that uh, Harry and Ben Weiss have, I haven't mentioned buildings that Harry and Ben Weiss have designed uh, recently, like the high school in Columbus, Indiana, or the Institute for the Visually Handicapped at uh, Illinois Medical Center, where you find uh, uh, where the variety and diversity becomes even greater. And then you might know, you, you may know that we have a building by Paul Rudolph in the Chicago area. It happens to be at Urbana. I think that's in the Chicago area, or at least on the fringe of it, and Paul Rudolph is the way out uh, uh, avant-garde man of our time, whose buildings uh, differ about as radically from the <clears throat> from the bulk of the work we've been talking about as any you could find, or, 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 or you see a difference here as great as any you would find in the 19th century. But the point I want to make about this is that I believe that the dominant work of the original Chicago school of John Wellborn Root, of Louis Sullivan, uh, of Hollibert and Roach, uh, and William LeBaron Jenny, uh, that that work, along with contemporary work by architects like Mies van der Rohe and Skidmore Owings and Merrill in Chicago, represents perhaps the, perhaps we can say it represents the classic mode of modern architecture, 
Uh, and uh, uh, beyond that, uh, outside of that, we have many, uh, many attempts to find uh, uh, many attempts to develop new kinds of form, a more subjective form, more plastic, more expressive uh, form. I don't know where it's going, uh, and I, I, I talk about classic work with some hesitation, uh, but nevertheless, I think that if we can use this term, it, it, uh, it tends to emphasize all the more uh, the, the importance of continuity, of, of, of the continuity between the original Chicago work and the present. Uh, and the importance of preserving that continuity uh, to the greatest degree uh, possible uh, in the, uh, within the context of the economic necessities of the city. You see, both in answer to Ben's challenge, you see, you too, Dixie, in other words, both can be side by side, can't they? We hope. I mean, it wouldn't be a question of quaintness, would it? I mean, suppose the charge, suppose the charge of romanticism were aimed at you, that, or, or sentimentality. I don't think, uh, I think that's a culturally immature attitude. I think of the, probably the best example of styles living side by side and running from the 10th century to the 18th century is San Marco in uh, Venice, which is perhaps the most unified urban space we can think of. And yet these, each style was good enough to be subservient to the whole and, uh, Thus, they created a, a worldwide uh, renowned uh, space that has cultural significance for everyone, and I wish Chicago would think about these things and develop these ideas. Yes, there's no such thing as one style superseding another one. There, the historical continuity is there, and I think that uh, that's the first-class example of Piazza San Marco. Of, of continuity in one this, place. Isn't this fascinating? Ben was saying, and you, Carl, implying that in Venice, with uh, ten centuries involved, or eight centuries, and whatever it is, the fact is the people themselves are more, there's more of a unified urban community than, without it, then it's something fragmented. Is that it? Right. Did, something very insecure about the... Uh, studs in the um, newspaper the other day where some Swedish students um, were visiting Chicago, uh, they were taken on a tour of Old Town, and they said, uh, one of them replied, yes, we have an Old Town, too, but it's 14th century. We think of the Garrick Theater building. By the way, what is the Garrick Theater building now? Parking uh, it's a, garage. Yeah, it's Civic a Center parking, parking garage. You know, I don't know who it was who said Chicago would be a great place to live in, especially if you're a Chevrolet. <laughs> it's a, a takeoff Fred <laughs> Allen's crack, California, especially if you're an orange. Uh, then it's a parking lot. I know that Dick Nickel had been <laughs> working all, but he particularly had been working so hard to save that. In a sense, the preservation of the Garrick would have been part of what you're talking about, Ben. Uh, that also part of our, not just heritage, continuity. And more yes. than, say, a parking lot. Yes, I, if you're going to make, uh, if you, obviously you can't preserve everything from the past, uh, uh, and we preserve a great deal of junk and uh, let first-class things disappear. If you're going to preserve things, then at least the Garrick Theater should have been preserved. We could, we could possibly afford to lose the majestic hotel of D.H. Burnham or the cable building of uh, Holliburton and Roach uh, or uh, what else has gone down in the last uh, couple of years. We could, we could possibly afford to lose these, but not the Garrick Theater. That, uh, it seems to me to tear down a building like the Garrick Theater is to go into the Art Institute and rip paintings uh, off the walls and slash them up and... Uh, uh, and uh, deface them. Uh, 
th this is just vandalism. As, uh, uh, ben, I think, used the term uh, culturally, uh, cultural immaturity. This, this is immaturity, uh, really. This notion that... Ben was being very kind. Yes, yeah, I think he was being, yes, yeah. he was being For kind. For official uh, vandalism. <coughs> yeah. Closer to it. This, this, this is... Um, uh, th this is a terribly shallow uh, view that you can consume buildings or works of art like shoes or, or food uh, uh, or uh, uh, styles of uh, dress, accessories that uh, women use to decorate themselves. Uh, that's the attitude we have. We get something new. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I think that we're, we're really in a kind of a tragic dilemma here, if I can <coughs> pursue this just for another a minute. There are many great buildings that have been built in Chicago in the past uh, 10 to 15 years, and fortunately, a fair number of great ones of the past still uh, uh, still survive. Uh, but uh, there, there is no. Um, th th this is to a great extent an accident. We have no deep lying commitment to this. What I've called continuity to our inheritance, our uh, our uh, culture and uh, cultural inheritance. So we we have this. Uh, we have this feeling that our economy can continue, that it can move, that it can grow, become a, continue to be an expanding economy, only if we constantly tear down and rebuild, only if we constantly consume, destroy, and manufacture over again. But if, if, if this is economically necessary, then of course uh, I, I don't see how culture can survive uh, at all. It'd be like destroying all the plays that have been written from time to time, or all the musical. Uh, compositions because look you can pay somebody to to uh, write new ones and he can go out and spend the money and uh, keep the machine going that way newness for newness sake I and, think and um, for business sake for business sake let's say I think there's a lot of narrow-mindedness too about uh, this business of architectural styles there are a lot of people and I, I encounter this mostly in architects uh, they think I mean they have a they prefer one thing and they don't have any sympathy then as a result for anything else and um, I find that's an incredible thing. I mean, I can appreciate uh, any building. It doesn't have to be modern and it doesn't have to be Baroque or, you know, I mean, I, I can see some quality in all of them. Um, but another point is that these buildings that we're talking about, these were modern, really modern buildings in the 1890s, and except that they've been altered and not really kept up to date through the years, I think if, if we could have the Carson building as, it, as Sullivan left it in 1904, we would accept it as a, mo a modern building as a civic center. But through time, uh, the modernism—I mean, the modernism was not accepted, and it was covered up in one way or another, or altered. And as a result, now we don't know what these buildings really were like, except for the Monadnock, which you can't can hardly change. You mean that so much uh, it's like cosmetics put on someone? Yeah, sure. Uh, that the actual person is buried beneath an overly dressed, overly cosmetized yes. name, say. What about the Monadnock bill? What is it about it that makes it unique? Well, um, <clears throat> I don't want to do all the talking. That's here. okay. <laughs> I'll, talk to you. I'll talk for a minute, then Ben and Dick can add. Uh, the Monadnock building is, if I may use the corny phrase, um, the number one landmark in the history of modern architecture, an epoch-making building. It was the first building. The architect, by the way, was John Wellborn Root of Burnham and Root completed in 1891. It was the first building in which the architect turned his back completely on all traditional styles uh, of ornament, on all of the, the classical, gothic, uh, uh, Roman, Romanesque, uh, Renaissance uh, uh, styles of form and ornament decoration of the, uh, of the past, and uh, uh, confronted the building absolutely afresh, confronted the fact and the necessity 
of the building and created an absolutely new uh, thing. It's one of the revolutionary works in the history of art, just as Beethoven's Third Symphony is, or the lyrical ballads of, of Coleridge and Wordsworth uh, uh, back there at the turn of the uh, 19th century. Uh, it, it is essentially a 16-story a block of, um, uh, of uh, offices uh, with the necessary, uh, the necessary utilities, uh, iron-framed inside with brick masonry walls on the outside, uh, and uh, that, that is what, uh, uh, what Root wanted to give, uh, wanted, wanted to uh, present uh, clearly and unambiguously, uh, but uh, the astonishing thing is that that extremely simple elemental geometry has turned into a, uh, into a brilliant plastic uh, uh, work by very uh, simple but subtle and all-important uh, means, rounded surfaces under the projecting bays of the windows and rounded corners, uh, and uh, the, the, the slight inward curve at the second floor line, the slight outward flare at the top, just little details that turn this, uh, uh, this great rectangular block into, uh, uh, into uh, a great plastic uh, work. You want to add anything? <laughs> excuse, me for, excuse me for being carried away here. Right. Uh, this was built in 1889. 1889-91, uh, yes. Oh, I was only going to add that um, I think the, the fine condition of the Monadnock today is due in great part to the management of the building by the, over all these years, by the son of the original builder, uh, Mr. Graham Aldis, who recently died. And of course, the building was named after a mountain in um, Massachusetts, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, mountain Monadnock. I was going to say Maine. <laughs> we no, well, I was in the McDowell Colony. I saw the Monadnock Mountain. Somebody going to the Monadnock Mountains. Oh, that's the building. Well, <laughs> it was commissioned by uh, two, two Bostonians, Peter and Shepard Brooks, which accounts for the use of a New England oh, place name. You know, there's something that uh, Dick just said rather interesting. It's maintained by the son of the original guy. Here, there's something personal, and isn't I mean, isn't yes. this one of the things we face, a sort of facelessness, <clears throat> a sort of impersonality? Ben, do you find this in the world? Yes, of I, uh, that was it. Louis Sudler uh, is another, uh, Sudler Company is another example of a firm that makes good business out of a unique preservation of the buildings that they uh, own and uh, operate, the, uh, the Rookery Building and uh, 30 North LaSalle, two other good examples. But they find that their clientele is interested in the details and uh, the special quality of these buildings, the brass doorknob and the marble hallways, and you get uh, identity for your particular kind of commercial operations you don't find in the new buildings. This is interesting. Then, in other words, it can be, if we can just reverse the wheel just a bit for a moment, it can be good business. You know, sometimes buildings that are valuable are destroyed in the name of business, and yet the irony is that there is identity if there's something unique in that building that also is uh, to the benefit of some of the people living yes, in it. Yes, this is a happy contrast to what we have been talking about in the ruling mode. I could add a couple of more uh, illustrations uh, of that uh, studs to the, the fine, the, 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 the good job that uh, Graham Aldous and Mr. Lewis Sudler have done in preserving these uh, great works of the past. Uh, the Congress uh, Hotel, which is the, the classic work of hotel architecture in the Chicago School, uh, was recently modernized uh, at considerable cost, $4 million, I think. And although there were some changes, some minor changes, in the uh, outside of that building, for the most part, the, the basic form, as it was designed by Clinton J. Warren, uh, originally was uh, preserved 
that has always been, uh, to my mind, one of the fine hotels anywhere, and it certainly is the best uh, located of any hotel in Chicago facing directly on Grant Park. Then there's the extension um, uh, south along State Street of the Carson Perry Scott store uh, four or five years ago, uh, except for the base uh, of the um, of that new extension, uh, which is the O'Connor and Goldberg store. Uh, the uh, architects uh, followed uh, Sullivan's uh, original design exactly, and that meant, of course, very costly duplication of the intricate ornament that uh, Sullivan used around the windows and on the spandrel panels. And, and uh, I remember reading in the paper, in the news accounts uh, about that extension, uh, one of the officers of the Carson Perry Scott Company said, uh, made a point of saying that it was a tribute to Louis Sullivan that his design could be used without change uh, in extending this door uh, nearly 60 years after the original uh, building had been completed. If we come back to the idea of what Sullivan had in mind, as I interpreted a layman, form-following function, when people go to the theater, they assume there is a rapport between the artist and themselves, the audience. And we know what's happened with even the Moiseyev ballet being lost in that vast yeah. barn of airy crown, mm -hmm. uh, let alone individual artists who are great. They're remote, they're dolls in the distance, but in the auditorium, this is exactly the opposite. Uh, is that so, Ben? Yes, I think some of us were present when uh, Van Cliburn played the piano on the apron to a few people sitting in camp stools. I'm not sure you were there with no, uh, Studs no. uh, four or five years ago, and he played uh, Schumann leader, and uh, Mrs. Spatchner spoke in a conversational tone, mm -hmm. and the whole hall, uh, it was, it was uh, audible through the whole hall. The, the, uh, the intimacy of 150 people uh, listening under these circumstances in the auditorium is not destroyed, and uh, this is the great difference. And uh, you have to be there to believe it, I guess. It's a human, a human instrument. Yes. Mm -hmm. Perhaps that phrase, a human instrument, the auditorium, a human instrument. Isn't this what all great works of architecture really come down to? They should be. Yes. Perhaps our last go round with. Suppose we start with Dick who'll soon be leaving our city and enriching uh, Cambridge. Um, the only comment I have, Studs, is it's not really too long ago that um, newspapers, even the Daily News specifically, was poo-pooing art and architecture. Can you remember six years ago you'd, you'd find jokes being made of modern paintings on the back pages of the Daily News? And now there's a change in climate. You have We have Panorama magazine, which takes these things quite more seriously. And um, I think that... Um, uh, you know, with the entire expansion of appreciation of the arts, I think uh, people, viewers of this tour, have to have to really begin to take architecture more seriously and uh, appreciate it. That's, you know, ben whether, whether it's yeah. old or a new building, I think there's there's something in all of them. Ben, yes, I, I would only hope that we can live uh, peaceably, uh, tolerating the best things from the past and go on and uh, build. Uh, sensible buildings in the uh, the great Chicago tradition into the future. Carl Condit. I can only say that I agree exactly with what Ben and Dick have said, Studs. Uh, I, I think that anybody who uh, wants to uh, appreciate, learn to appreciate, or simply get up on contemporary architecture, of course, is going to have a bewildering a uh, variety of buildings uh, and building styles, uh, even a chaos, uh, uh, but uh, it, it, uh, the, the very chaotic nature of it uh, suggests, uh, I think, the uh, 
uh, how uh, how powerful the creative uh, creative factors are that are working here, and how uh, how 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 far we could go in creating a a, a great uh, a great city, and uh, uh, how we simply ought to do this to the best of our ability. The challenge in is still ahead; it's still with us even now. And yes, earlier, the word was accomplished. courage and saying no to non-imaginative people, and saying yes, indeed, to imagination is what it really amounts to. Ben Weiss, architect, Harry Weiss and Associates, uh, Dick Nickel, photographer, architectural photographer, and collector too, and Carl Condit, uh, uh, architectural historian, teacher at the University of Northwestern. Thank you very much, gentlemen. This program, the one you just heard, was first recorded and broadcast on WFMT oh, almost 40 years ago, and so those references you heard, may, some may be dated in uh, nature, but nonetheless pertinent with the late Richard Nichol and the late Carl Condit. By the way, services for Carl Condit, for those who may be interested, will be at Harris Hall, Northwestern University in the south, uh, the northwest part of the campus, Sunday the 16th at 2 o'clock.